It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code BOOM to get $30 off your first month. That's BOOM. Talkspace.com slash BOOM. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network, Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels, the hosts on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18, and the main account, at Locked On Network. Tough morning for Sage, his Cubs lost in the World Series, and the Vikings still stuck in this long midweek cycle leading up to a Monday night game. At Chicago, that could be a pretty special little trip for somebody. Go to a Cubs World Series game and then go to Soldier Field. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I haven't really planned on it. I'm going to go to the Iowa State game this weekend over in Ames, Iowa. But, uh, man, if I could get myself get my hands on a Cubs ticket, you can call me in Chicago this weekend. That would be fantastic. I, I heard that some of the local bars are charging like a $250 cover just to gain entry into the bar to watch the game. That is, that's incredible. Well, anyone that's ever been to Wrigleyville realizes or knows how much fun it is uh, there, in particular during a Cubs game, uh, during a home Cubs game, if you can't get into the actual game. It is one big party that uh, is sort of like its own city, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I said, my, my dad grew up uh, north side of Chicago. I grew up going going to Cubs games, and uh, it's been one heck of a run this year, and hopefully they can they can finish it off. Sage, I'm I'm throwing you into immediate controversy on today's show. Have you seen the story about the Brett Favre book entitled "Gunslinger," containing quotes from former Viking Artis Hicks saying that the Vikings actually used a similar bounty program? to the much maligned 2009 Saints team that incentivized the injuring of opposing players? Uh, just recently, uh, I saw that yesterday, and uh, I found that fascinating. I, obviously, I was on that 2009 team. Uh, obviously, I was uh, you know, backing up Favre uh, in that championship game down there at the Superdome. Uh, I actually wrote an article, which I'm sure a few Vikings fans read, uh, about far for for Sports Illustrated and Monday Morning Quarterback uh, that uh, sort of documents that season and that game, um, in particular the end of that game. But uh, it, there was some interesting aspects of that of that book or that the article that I read, which talked about the book and what Art, Artis Hicks said. Uh, Artis Hicks was one of our sort of backup uh, offensive linemen. Um, he had been he had sort of followed Brad Childress from Philadelphia and. And uh, he was sort of a swing tackle, but he could play guard and, uh, and, and played some that year for sure, uh, but was mostly a backup. And he, he said that uh, the Vikings had their own sort of bounty system. And uh, I, I'll, I'll come out and say that I don't know anything about that. Um, obviously, as a quarterback, you're sort of separated from the rest of the world. 
uh, and what they do in their meetings and, and uh, in particular on defense, what they do on their side of the ball. But uh, that was surprising news to me uh, that he said that the Vikings had a, had a bounty as well. And uh, the only thing that makes a little bit of sense is if this is true, uh, is why the Vikings didn't fight it that hard uh, as to, um, you know, the bounty on Favre in that game or the bounty that uh, the Saints had in that game on, on Vikings players uh, because it did not seem like uh, a lot of my teammates were up in arms about the whole, uh, the whole thing. It was sort of, well, it's football is football, you know, and that's what they decided to do. And we got to, you know, try to protect Favre. And that was seemed to be a lot of the mentality in that football game. So that was very surprising to see. And I didn't know anything about that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm surprised there hasn't been an ESPN 30 for 30 uh, at this point. Uh, my guess is that neither team uh, really wants to talk about, you know, bounties. I'm, I'm sure the Saints don't. And, and at this point, I'm sure the Vikings don't either. Let me read a quick excerpt from it so people can kind of get a, a vibe on where we're coming from. In 2008, now this is the year prior, reportedly a Vikings coach uh, stood up in a team meeting and talked about Nick Barnett, Green Bay Packer at the time, and said in some colorful language he'd give $500 to anyone who takes him out of the game. Then the following is a direct excerpt from the book Gunslinger. Quote, this was hardly a shocking move in the Vikings locker room where piles of money were regularly collected then distributed as rewards for injuring opposing stars. It was part of the culture, said Artis Hicks, a Minnesota offensive lineman. I had coaches start a pot, and all the veterans put in an extra $100, $200, and if you hurt someone special, you get the money. There was a bottom line, and I think we all bought in. You're there to win, and if taking out the other team's best player helps you win, hey, it's nothing personal, just business. Hicks goes on to insist that it occurred during 2009 as well. Now, Sage, I don't know much about the Brad Childress coaching staff. I only watch them from afar. But I have a feeling that if this were going on under Mike Zimmer's nose, it would probably be snuffed out right away, don't you think? Yeah, Zimmer wouldn't have any piece of that. Uh, he plays hard-nosed football, but I don't think he is a coach that uh, uh, coaches anything beyond the lines. Uh, again, I, if that happened in 2008, uh, where a coach said that, uh, you know, I showed up in 2009, the following year. Uh, so, you know, if that is true, maybe it did carry over into 2009, but it was just sort of kept quiet. Uh, as I said, I didn't know about it. Um, and, uh, I think it's unfortunate. Uh, sounds like it's probably true. If, if an artist says, I actually think artist Hicks is a fairly, uh, fairly truthful person. Um, so I don't think he would actually lie about that. Uh, I, I enjoyed playing with Artis Hicks. And so um, sounds like a, a dirty way both teams were, were playing the game, and, and the Vikings defense had a heck of a defense those, and during that run. Uh, they had the best rush defense in the NFL and one of the best uh, pass-rushing uh, teams in the NFL as well. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I'm a big believer in, in imposing your will on your other team and beating the other team with skill and toughness, but uh, but not with injury. It's a fascinating story. If anybody wants to read it, it's called Brett Favre's Vikings had a bounty program too. It's on Deadspin. All you have to do is Google search Deadspin Favre, and it'd probably be the very first result. It's a long read, and it goes into more detail about the 2009 NFC Championship game, which has been chronicled in so many ways, including by uh, by yours truly and by Sage Rosenfels. And it gets into sort of the 12 men in the huddle. 
It gets into basically the beating Favre took and the aftermath of it. Do you remember looking at him after that game with, with the bruises everywhere on his body? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I don't recall him being, like, bruised up yet. You know, usually that takes, uh, like, overnight Then the next day. I mean, the next day, uh, our team meeting, uh, he came in, and I saw him in the training room after that, and he had his leg was all black and blue, uh, both legs. It was, he was all beat up, all his shoulders, all over the place. But, uh, yeah, he, he truly got the crap beat out of him in that football game. And uh, I remember at the time thinking uh, – I, I think we, we heard – uh, at that time, going into the game, that the uh, that the Saints may have had a bounty on him, but at the very minimum, we remember Greg Williams, uh, you know, basically laying the cat out of the bag, and it was a press conference or something that, you know, it, it does help if you can take the the quarterback out of the other you know of the other team out of the game. Um, so there was definitely a lot of speculation and going into that game that this was part of their game plan. Um, and obviously it was, it was the Vikings job to, to prevent that from happening. But, uh, you know, he took some shots in, in particular, he, and he brings it up in the article. Uh, there was a reverse to Percy Harvin in that game and Favre hands it off and, and he comes up and then turns around and just gets smacked right in the face by, by somebody on the other team. And, and, uh, you could tell us at that point that, you know, there was going to be a lot of extra, Hitting it. And, you know, to be honest with you, Vic, uh, Favre was so good that season that if he didn't play in that football game, I don't know if we would have won it. You know, Tavares Jackson and I were the backups, and I like to think we have a lot of faith in ourselves. But, man, Favre had played so well that year that I don't know if, uh, if, if Tavares or I could have played nearly as well as him. And uh, he played, and despite all those hits, he played unbelievable, threw for over 300 yards. All the way down to the end, till that uh, to that final throw, to that final play uh, on that interception to Tracy Porter. So, uh, it, it, what what a wild game! You can go back and forth. It was interesting reading the article because he really does go into fine detail. It's pretty obvious he watched a lot of film and uh, went through the plays and and uh, and all the aspects of those plays. And and um, it was uh, it's it's hard to re- to relive some of those moments. Last question on the topic. Uh, have you ever contemplated whether or not Favre would have been able to play in the Super Bowl because of those injuries? And if not, do you think you might have had a chance to get in there? Uh, no, I always thought Favre would have played the Super Bowl. I mean, he, that guy, he, he, was, he was so extremely tough. And, and uh, there's, I'd never seen anything like it in my NFL career. And and the fact that he could just walk, uh, you just knew he was going to play in the Super Bowl, you know. And, and, and of course, it's obviously two weeks later uh, the Super Bowl was. And so he would have had time to heal up a little bit. But, yeah, he was extremely beat up. I'm sure uh, he, he was beat up a lot in his career, but that was probably the worst one for him. Locked on Vikings, locked on podcast network. Sorry to uh, bring everyone's morning down, reliving that dreadful game, Vikings and Saints 2009. We'll talk about the 2016 Vikings, another very promising group, with their own set of issues right now. The offensive line spoke uh, at length yesterday. We talked to Jake Long, Brandon Fusco, Alex Boone at Winter Park, and it seemed like the general consensus is, other than we have to play better, was we need to communicate better. Obviously, with a lot of new faces and a lot of rotation on that offensive line, with Long playing 13 snaps and Clemmings going from right to left and Jeremiah Searles getting in there as well. There wasn't a lot of continuity in that Eagles game. 
take us through the communication typically uh, during a play in an NFL game on the offensive line. They step up to the line, and then what needs to be said, Sage? Well, it all starts with the center, and the center has to you know point out who uh, he is. He has to declare who the Mike linebacker is, and and that does change uh, sometime in the game or in different formations. Uh, if the safety walks down, so, you know, say to the weak side, sometimes the will linebacker ends up being uh, sort of the you know quote unquote Mike linebacker in a in a certain protection scheme. So it generally starts with the center and or the quarterback, uh, but from there, that's when all the other uh, communication has to happen. And there's there's a whole you know say in the running game, there's a whole bunch of different combination calls. Uh, or techniques that are used that are, are, are made by you know, different calls by the offensive line. Uh, for example, an ace uh, is a, uh, a quarter or as a center and a guard working together to the strong side. A deuce would be a guard and a tackle. A tray would be a tackle and a tight end uh, working together up to a linebacker. Um, and, and sometimes I think offensive linemen sort of take it for granted. Uh, because they, you know, hey, we know what we're doing. We got it. Uh, we don't need to really make a call here. And then sometimes, in particular, when you've got uh, as much um, guys moving around as the Vikings do, and a player here, and a player here, and a player here, uh, they really have to communicate because you can't just sort of go off what you you know is going to happen. You have to sort of over communicate and make sure everybody's on the same page. And that's obviously something that they're struggling with. I mean, there was a play during that Eagles game where. Jake Long and Ronnie Hillman weren't on the same page, and they both simultaneously whiffed. Is it possible, with the speed of the NFL game, to communicate mid-play and tell a guy something? Because I feel like in that half second where you where you shout, you know, three words, the guy's probably going to be by you. Is that sort of the case? Yeah, there's not much. I mean, occasionally, uh, you know, you'll hear something like a twist call or or something like that. Um, um, but no, it's once the play starts, it's really tough to communicate. And you know, can imagine blocking a 280-pound athlete and yet at the same time verbally talking to somebody else. That's almost impossible. Usually, it happens before the play. Obviously, you know, Ronnie Hillman being there late—that's another aspect of communication. And uh, and it's you know, it's hard for us, say an offensive lineman to turn back and and talk to a running back. A lot of times, they do ha- different hand signals actually whether it's the guard or the tackle will will do a hand signal or tap his rear, uh, which means something like I'm coming down or or uh, or I'm going to fan out to the widest sky. There's there's nonverbal communication that goes on all the time uh, between the running backs and the, and the offensive line as well. So uh, you, I, I have always believed you can never really over-communicate in sports, uh, in particular in football. And, uh, and to me, one of the most important aspects of the football team is that offensive line. Nothing good happens. Uh, you can't run the ball. You can't throw the ball without a offensive line that's working together. And that's something that Tony Sperano is going to have to uh, figure out. You mentioned Tony Sperano. You know Tony Sperano. I think the general vibe on Tony Sperano is that he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. You know, he, he'd rather hurt your feelings with the truth than comfort you with the lie. That's what John Sullivan said before he got cut. What kind of mood do you think he's in this week? Well, the mood he's generally in, I think, which is probably a little bit grumpy. Uh, from my time with him, he was always just a little bit grumpy. You know, Tony Sperano's been an, an underdog you know, pretty much his entire life. Uh, this guy wasn't uh, you know, given the silver spoon. He didn't play offensive line at uh, Michigan or Ohio State or Alabama and, you know, and work his way into, into the NFL. 
Uh, he, you know, he comes from a smaller school and, and has worked his way up uh, from high school to college and, and college to being a tight ends coach and, you know, slowly to all the way to head coach. I mean, he has really put in his time. And, uh, he, and he's really perfect for Zimmer's staff. He is a no-nonsense type of guy. You call a spade a spade. Uh, if, you know, if it's ugly, it's ugly. Uh, he doesn't mind guys that play uh, in an ugly fashion, that blue-collar. He likes guys that play in that blue-collar fashion. Uh, and the fact that the toughness of the offensive line was questioned this week, uh, that probably bothers him more than anything because to him that's a direct – uh, resemblance of himself, and uh, I think Tony Sprout is a very tough uh, individual, a tough coach, tough human being, uh, and has been through it all. And uh, I think he's going to have those guys come out and play uh, better and harder uh, in the weeks to come. I think Zimmer's pretty blunt with the way he talks to the media and sometimes uses that as a vessel to put players and or coaches on blast. And I think if you, re- you recall last year, after the season was over, he fired Jeff Davidson or didn't renew Jeff Davidson's contract, the offensive line coach, and he did not send him off with too many kind words. It was, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out type thing. He does not feel the need to compliment somebody unless he thinks they deserve it. And when he when he calls the offensive line soft and questions their toughness, is that a direct message to the players? You know, who knows who's paying attention or not, but do you think he's putting them on blast for a reason to light that fire? Yeah, I think most head coaches, and Zimmer's definitely one of them, I think they choose their words wisely. And he went to that press conference knowing uh, what he wanted to say and, and how, uh, and, and probably assuming how those guys will react. I think a lot of coaches, uh, they don't just say those types of things um, and, and unsure how the players will react. I think Zimmer has a feel for. Uh, the, the the attitude of this offensive line and, and the heart of this offensive line and the fact that he would question it, uh, I think he assumes their play will improve. Before we continue with Sage, a reminder that SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the football games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great Value S E A T G E E K. I have the Seat Geek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, just a few taps, and I've got the seats I want instantly. With Seat Geek, you always get the best deal on each ticket because Seat Geek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. And the prices can vary depending on where you shop, but Seat Geek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how you get it. Download the SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Make that promo code LOVIKINGS. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOVIKINGS today. So the word is that Jay Cutler, your favorite NFL quarterback, is supposedly ready to play for Monday. Hasn't played since week two. Is this better news for the Vikings or the Bears? 
Well, it's good news for the Bears because the Bears have really no quarterback right now. Uh, the other guys have gotten mm-hmm. all hurt. Um, and and uh, I think Hoyer, <coughs> excuse me, Hoyer is the more consistent quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I think what's interesting about Cutler, he's sort of the hit or miss quarterback. He might throw three touchdowns against the Vikings or he might throw five interceptions. It just depends what you get. So he is sort of a better, a higher top end, but a much lower low end. And, and uh, so he's, a, he's the, the streaky quarterback. So I'm not sure if it's a good thing for the Vikings. Uh, it just depends on which Cutler shows up. Jay Cutler in his career against the Minnesota Vikings has an eight and five record. That is the most wins against any opponent in football. Against the Detroit Lions, he's seven and seven. But the Minnesota Vikings, he's eight and five, sixty-six percent passer, twenty-six touchdowns, also the most of any opponent, against fourteen interceptions and a rating of ninety-one point eight. Something about Minnesota just gets Cutler going, and I know last year. The Vikings beat him twice. I was really close at Soldier Field, and then Minnesota blew him out at TCF Bank Stadium. So prior to that, he was eight and three. I mean, he really had the Vikings number there for a spell. Yeah, he has played well versus the Vikings for the most part uh, in his career. And uh, yeah, the, you know, I think what what bothers Cutler the most is is pressure, uh, pressure from uh, defensive line and a pass rush. And so I think that is going to be extremely important. Uh, for the Vikings uh, to get that pressure on him. And, and I think he doesn't do great against the blitz either. I've always thought he's a he's the guy you want to blitz and get him thrown off that back foot, which he loves to do. Uh, and that's a you know, chance to for him to throw a high ball or throw a bad, make a bad throw and, and get an interception. So I think pressure is going to be at an all-time premium this week. You saw Jay Cutler work his magic against Minnesota on a Monday night in Chicago in 2009, and an overtime touchdown to Devin Aromashadu was the game-winning play. Just another crazy game that Sage Rosenfels was present at. Yeah, well, I was present not playing. I mean, yeah, at a, at a, at, that was one of many crazy games uh, from that 2009 season. We could probably go through almost every one, and it had some sort yeah. of drama to it. But, uh, yeah, the great game. Went into overtime. Uh, you know, Favre hit Sidney Rice, uh, I believe, like on the fourth down from the oh the the five yard line or something like that in the corner of the end zone uh, uh, for a touch or for a touchdown to tie it to put it in overtime. If I recall, uh, Adrian fumbled a couple times in that in that football game, or definitely fumbled at the end of that football game uh, to uh, and that's what that's what gave them the ball. Uh, to, and then they hit a go route on, on Devin, Devin Aramashadu, which the Vikings end up signing a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. But uh, they just called a straight go route, uh, and he just ran right past uh, our cornerback, and, and that was the end of the game. So it was a freezing, <laughs> freezing night in Chicago. Um, it was a little bit windy, but it was you know probably about 15 or 20 degrees. The only notable Devin Aramashadu moment in Minnesota was in week three, of Favre's second season. Favre was sitting on 499 touchdowns and had a chance to get his 500th at home. Throws it deep to Aroma Shadu, who drops it, and uh, he didn't get the 500th touchdown in that game. And I don't think Aroma Shadu ever had another noteworthy moment with the Vikings. And that was really a pretty bad season anyway, so that would make sense. That's all I got for today, Sage. Vikings-Bears talk will expand on Friday, and then, of course, again on Monday. We hope to get Arthur Arkish on from Locked On Bears 
for tomorrow's program. But for now, we talked 09, we talked O-Line, we talked Jay Cutler, packed program. Good stuff, Sage. We'll talk to you Friday. All right, sounds good. He's Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18, the former NFL quarterback, and I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom, the current NFL journalist. This is Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.